if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers bearing crosses or stars of David. They add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And a good morning to you. Seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock and we're rolling on AM 1420. The answer. It's a Thursday, the fourth morning of the second month of the year of our Lord 2021. I'm going to tell you point blank as we start. This is one of those days where I wish I had a third hour. I wish we were on for three, maybe four, uh, because there's that much information to kind of plow through that much uh, important discussion that needs to be had, and we're going to do our best to get it done in the two that we have. Coming up in half an hour, Jack Windsor will join us. Jack wrote a piece for the Ohio Star, handicapping, if you will, uh, the race to replace Rob Portman when he uh, resigns from Congress or does not run for re-election in the Senate, rather, uh, coming up in two years. I would prefer that he would just depart now, stop doing any more damage to his party, and maybe even to his name. I don't know. That's up to him. But there is a long list of potential replacements for him that Jack has spotlighted, both on the Republican side and the Democrat side, running for what will be an open seat without an incumbent. And uh, we're going to talk to Jack about that coming up at 9.35. At 10.10, you know what today is. I told you it's Thursday. That means it is Dr. Everett Piper Day, and he will be with us at 10.10 to discuss a host of issues, not the least of which I can promise you will be the confirmation hearing yesterday for Miguel Cardona, the Secretary of Education nominee put forth by Joe Biden. Miguel Cardona was asked in an exchange with Senator Rand Paul whether or not he thought it was fair for, since he is going to be overseeing education in America, for biological boys to compete against biological girls in school athletics, thereby putting girls at an extreme disadvantage and potentially harming their ability to become noticed, to win races, to to win championships, and yes, to potentially earn scholarships or offers to participate and compete at the highest level, which is in college athletics. Is that fair to real girls? Rand Paul asked me about Miguel Cardona. And we're going to talk about that. In fact, I'm going to let you listen to that here in about one minute. But what we're going to follow up with as it pertains to that story is the ACLU deciding to not support the civil liberties, which is in the name, 
ACLU, they're not going to support the civil liberties of actual girls. Their civil rights to compete against one another on a fair and level playing field without having to be intruded upon by a bunch of biological males who are very, very confused about what they are. If they're confused at all and not just intentionally uh, just saying, you know, describing themselves as identifying as something else and allowing themselves uh, the opportunity to win. You know, it, it, this is a big part of this that nobody talks about or not enough people talk about. The, the bottom feeding male runners in track competitions, and this is happening in Connecticut too, where they're, you know, finishing in ninth and tenth and twelfth and fifteenth place in races. The bottom feeders, the ones who just aren't good, and I'm talking about boys when they run against boys, finishing in ninth, tenth, and twelfth place and so forth, their times are still faster than the fastest times that are run by the girls. Because it's quite simple. There are physiological differences that give males advantages in strength and in stamina and in muscle t- muscle fiber and in lung capacity. And all. We, I don't have to go through the science with you. It's common sense. They can't win when they run against boys. So there are a lot of these boys then that are saying, I identify as a girl, and then running and winning gold medals or championships, plaques, whatever, and, yes, qualifying for scholarships that are being denied the girls. The ACLU sent out a series of tweets yesterday following the Education Secretary's confirmation hearing in which he was questioned by Rand Paul. The series of tweets is headlined, Four Myths About Trans People in School Sports Debunked. And it goes on to say four things that are just patently untrue, such as myth one. Sex is binary, apparent in birth, and identifiable through singular biological characteristics. That's not a myth. That's a fact. Number two, trans athletes' physiological characteristics provide an unfair advantage over cis athletes. First of all, they're not cis athletes. They're just athletes. Second of all, that myth is also an absolute lie. Trans athletes' physiological characteristics do give them an unfair advantage, as evidenced by what I just described. Individuals who finish way down the pack against boys are dominating against girls. Myth number three, the ACLU says, the participation of trans athletes hurts cis women. Once again, they're not cis women, they're just women. Women are women, men are men. Let's stop playing make-believe. Because that's what they're doing. Their participation of trans athletes absolutely hurts cis women. Take a look at the lawsuits in Connecticut, and you'll learn, learn more about how and why. And myth four, the ACLU tweets, trans students need separate teams. Well, I might give a little bit on this one. But I might not. A separate division for trans athletes would at least leave real girls into real girls competitions and boys in boys. And if they want to have a third but separate trans competition and category, whatever. Have fun. I just don't think it's necessary because there are no such things as half women and half men. They are men or women. They are boys or girls. And to me, a trans male, or in other words, a male who has the fantasy that he's a female, should still compete against males. 
If you want to wear a sports bra while you're doing it, if you want to wear a wig while you're doing it, I don't care. But go race against the boys. That's where you belong because you're a male. We don't need to be, cannot be, should not be engaging in their fantasies along with them. David Arsanyi responded uh, from uh, uh, National Review, responded to the ACLU tweets this way. I don't really care what people call themselves or believe until they start compelling others to engage in their role-playing with them, destroying scholarship chances of hard-working young women. That is spot-on. I want you to hear a little bit, and I'm going to tell you this. I like Rand Paul so much when he does these things, but I am a little bit disappointed that he missed a couple of opportunities here to really pin Miguel Cardona, Education Secretary nominee, down on this every time Cardona talks about rights. I think Rand Paul was on point in trying to have this conversation and pursuing this line of questioning. I just think he missed some opportunities. In other words, at the risk of sounding like an egotistical punk, I could have done this better. But listen. The Office of Civil Rights uh, sent a letter to Connecticut saying that uh, boys can't compete with girls in, in sports or so they shouldn't be forced here? to allow boys to compete in girls' sports. Uh, if you're confirmed, will you enforce that Office of Civil Rights opinion? Hello, Senator. Uh, thank you for the question. I understand that there are a, a lot of concerns about that. Uh, it's, it's, if confirmed, it's my responsibility and my uh, privilege to make sure that we're following uh, our civil rights of all students. And that includes uh, activities that they may engage in in high school or in athletics. That would be the first opportunity now for Rand Paul to say, I'm glad you are for standing up for the rights of all students, but allowing boys to compete against girls is interfering with the rights of female students, actual, literal female students, correct? But Rand Paul doesn't phrase it that way, disappointingly to me, but he does say... What do you think in general about boys running in girls' track meets like they've been doing in Connecticut? I think that it's critically important that education systems and educators respect the rights of all students, including students who are transgender, um, and that they are afforded the opportunities that every other student has to uh, participate in extracurricular activity. Does it bother you that, like, the top 20% of boys running in track meets beat all of the girls in the state and that it, you know, would be, you know, completely destroy girls' athletics? The girls are being pushed out. Um, they don't make the finals in the state meet. They don't get college scholarships. That it's really detrimental to girls' sports. Do you worry about having boys running girls' track meets? You know, I, I recognize and appreciate the concerns um, and the uh, frustrations that are expressed. I've, as Commissioner of Education, have had conversations with families uh, who have felt the way you just described it and families of uh, students who are transgender. So I understand that this is a challenge. I look forward to working with you and others to... Do you think it's fair to have boys running in the girls' track, mate? I think it's appropriate for... It's, I think it's, it's the legal responsibility of schools to provide opportunities for students to uh, participate in activities, and this includes students who are transgender. See, he has said that three times now, and Rand Paul has failed to pin him down. His response continues to be, it's the legal responsibility of the schools to provide opportunities for all students to compete. And what Rand Paul needs to say is, they do have opportunities to compete in the division 
that coincides with their biological, anatomical, physiological, chromosomal, scientific sex. Nobody's telling these quote-unquote transgender athletes that they can't compete, but they have to compete with the other people just like them, males. Rand Paul doesn't pin him on this. He has four opportunities to do so. Continue. So you don't have a problem then with boys running in the girls' track meet, swimming meets, name it. You're okay then with boys competing with girls? Respectfully, Senator, I think I answered the question. I believe schools should offer the opportunity for students to engage in extracurricular activities, even if they're transgender. I think that's their right. Again, that was like the fourth time he said it. Senator Paul, make the point. They do have the opportunity. Schools do provide them the opportunity. It's called their own events. We have segregated sports for a reason. We have segregated sports between males and females for a reason, because females cannot compete with males. If we didn't have separate divisions for males and females, no girls basketball players would ever make a varsity team. No girl track athletes would ever make uh, you know, the, the, the first team or the, or the varsity or have an opportunity to compete at the varsity level against male sprinters, against male volleyball players, against male whatever, because of the physiological advantages of the male body. So in our wisdom as a people and our government, through Title IX, we have said girls need to have equal and uh, uh, accessible opportunities just like boys do. So we created their own separate events, their own separate sports. And they excel in those. And they compete against one another in a level playing field situation. And they can earn scholarship opportunities and chances to go on to college because of those. This man is essentially saying, why do we have segregated sports? He is at no music yet. He is saying boys and girls are the same. Everybody should be on the same team, on the same field. That's exactly what he's saying here. All athletes should have equal opportunities, including trans, and that means they should all be playing together. If you think boys should be running against girls, then you should you should be calling for an elimination of girls-specific only sports. Everybody is back together. All right. A lot of us think that that's bizarre, you know, not very fair. You know, I come from a family that has a lot of girls who have been have competed in college athletics, who have been state champions, and frankly, you know, some boy that it's six foot two competing against my five foot four niece doesn't sound very fair. I think most people in the country think it's bizarre, you know, that it's just completely bizarre and unfair that people, and you're going to run the Department of Education, you've got no problem with it. I, I really don't think Rand Paul's on his game. He just wasn't. He had an opportunity here to do so much more damage to this ridiculous notion that girls should surrender their spots on sports teams to biological males. That he didn't do. I mean, why not say, wait a minute, if you're so concerned with the rights of everybody, why are you completely dismissing the rights of girls to compete against girls? Why should the rights of the infinitesimally small, infinitesimally small number of trans student athletes, why should their rights supersede the rights of, of, you know, the, the female population of this country? Why are you eliminating girls from competition? And he refused to answer that question, or ask that question, rather. I think it was a very, very, you know, noble attempt, but a terribly missed opportunity by Senator Paul. And for the record, what I want to do now is role play. I'm Senator Rand Paul. 
play devil's advocate. Change my mind. Be the Secretary of Education nominee. Do that for me. What would you say if I said to you what I just told Rand Paul, said that Rand Paul should have said? What about it? Should girls' sports be abolished and just let everybody play together so nobody's feelings are hurt about which side that they're on? Change my mind. 216-901-0945, We'll be right back. Okay, 926, the Bob France Authority continues. Don't forget, Jack Windsor coming up talking about the Senate vacancy uh, that is being created by Rob Portman's decision to not run for re-election. That'll be at 935. We are talking uh, about this ridiculous um, uh, trans movement that continues to destroy women's sports and, quite frankly, destroy opportunities for women in many other ways as well. By, by deciding, rather, by allowing mentally psychologically disturbed males to pretend and play dress-up that they are females and then forcing the rest of society to agree with their delusion, to, to you know, compelling us to play along with their, their role play. We are literally saying real women don't exist. If that, that person over there can call themselves a woman, then real women don't exist because real women obviously are not that real women. I mean, I, I, I often say this just kind of to get a chuckle, but it's it's also very direct and very honest. Um, if you're confused about what you really are, do yourself a favor. Pull the waistband of your underwear away from your body and look down. Problem solved. Now you know what you are. Okay, I'm just, I don't mean to be flippant about it. I really don't. But biology is biology. Chromosomal science is chromosomal science. Physiology, anatomy, it is what it is, no matter how many times they try to tell you, no, it's a state of mind. Because if it's a state of mind, well, then all of these very, what we would call as just reasonable people, psychologically ill people who think they are other species, we would have to normalize that and say, no, that's an acceptable belief. If a person identifies as a dog and lives his life, and there are people like this, on their hands and knees eating from the floor because they really truly identify themselves as a dog, the rest of society would be compelled to say, hey, everyone's rights should be respected. Let's call this person Fido and accept them as a dog. But we don't do that. We say that person needs help because he's quite clearly, physiologically, anatomically, and biologically a human, not a dog. His mind is playing tricks on him. He is very seriously ill. That's what we say. Same thing for those who say, I am actually a dragon, and those people exist. And psychologically, we say these people have very serious problems. Quite clearly, they're humans who are messed up in their mind. Their body is not that of a dragon. Their chromosomes are not that of a dragon. They are indeed a human being, a male human being or a female human being. And we should not indulge their fantasies by saying, yes, we will call you a fire-breathing dragon. We will say, no, we need you to get help. It's the same thing for people who say, no, I'm not a male. And you know what? I'm not a female either. 
I'm just out there in the wind, man. I'm just, you know, this is what non-binary people say. I'm just, I'm not a male. I'm not a female. It depends on the moment. depends on the day. I'm just, I'm just me. And I ask you to respect that. Call me they or call me Z or call me C or whatever. No. Let's take a look. Do the test. Do the waistband test. And if you really need to, we can go in and, and, and have your blood drawn, and we can do a chromosomal test. We can show you scientifically what you are. But clearly, you have a mental condition that needs to be addressed, and you need to be seen. You need to be treated. Not forcibly, but hopefully you'll want to come to terms and come to grips with who and what you are. Because there's no such thing as somebody who's not a male or a female. Are there scientific abnormalities or anomalies rather is the best way to say that scientific anomalies yes but those are exactly that science has created males and females and i shouldn't say science god has created males and females science has concluded and very easily determined what is male and what is female and to do anything other than that is to essentially smack god in the face and say you don't know what you were doing you don't know what these people are and it's also a perversion to real women. All right, Jack Windsor joins us on the other side of the news on 1420 The Answer. Okay, 9:36. <clears throat> Excuse me, we continue on AM 1420 The Answer. I just I I just posted something on Facebook which I'm still using a little uh because there's no other alternative platform at the moment to to share these things since they destroyed parlor i got out of twitter i'm trying to get out of facebook but until they get a parlor back up or some other alternative we're kind of stuck here but i just posted something it's a real story it's from 2013 but there are others that are current it's about a man from pittsburgh no steelers jokes here who thinks he's a dog. He goes by the name Boomer. He lives his life on his hands and knees. He eats from a dog bowl. He sleeps on the floor in a dog house. He, he literally is a human being who says and insists that he is identifying as a canine and lives that way. And if we adopt the same standards for him that we do for men who think that they are women, who insist I might be a biological male, I might be a chromosomal male, I may be a, an anatomical male, but I know in my head I'm a woman. If we insist on allowing those people to indulge those fantasies, we have to accept this man as a canine. Treat him as such. Now, do we do that, or do we accept the science and say, this man has a psychological condition that needs to be treated? So which do we do? I've got other stories I'm going to post throughout the day today, maybe even as the show goes on, about people who think that they're dragons, people who think that they are other non-human things that are obviously quite biologically proven to be not true, but uh, we don't accept, yet we're going to accept non-binary, non-sex-having, non-existent beings uh, in the face of, uh, of science. So we'll talk more about that as we go. But right now, I want to bring Jack Windsor onto the program. Jack Windsor is the managing editor for The Ohio Star at theohiostar.com. And he wrote a great piece yesterday about the long list of GOP replacements, but maybe long but getting shorter by the day uh, for Senator Rob Portman. Jack Windsor has been kind enough to come on to talk about it with us. Hey, Jack, how are you? Hey, Bob. I'm super fantastic. Thanks for choosing me this morning. 
been a little, a, little, a little while since we've talked, Jack Windsor, so I'm glad to have you here. Um, maybe we can get a couple of other things in addition to this, but uh, let's let's give let you give us the rundown. You know, I think the first name that hit a lot of tongues when Rob Portman announced his decision not to run for reelection was Jim Jordan, and he's the first name that you mentioned in your article as well, pointing out that a lot of people said, let's get that guy into the Senate, but that was quickly dispelled as he announced, no, I think I can do more good for the people of the state of Ohio and for the country in a position, uh, in my position in the House that may be elevated if we take the majority, by the way, uh, than I could in the Senate as a freshman senator. So with, Jack, or with uh, Jim Jordan's name uh, out of the picture, tell us where we go from there. Well, you know, from 2021 looking into 22, it's already getting interesting. Um, with Mike DeWine likely facing a very tough primary after polls showed that 23% of prospective primary voters um, aren't sold on him, or they are sold on him. Uh, almost twice as many uh, would vote for an unnamed conservative. And now here comes Rob Portman saying, hey, I'm not going to run again in 2022. And even though nothing in politics is guaranteed, Portman's as much a shoe in during an election as anyone. He's never lost a race, and uh, no opponent has ever gotten uh, within 18% of them. Uh, but as you mentioned, immediately the rumor mill started swirling, and Jim Jordan right away, um, but quickly he sidestepped. Uh, and then names like Jim Renacci, Lieutenant Governor Husted, uh Secretary of State LaRose, uh, former two-term Ohio Treasurer Josh Mandel, Ohio GOP Chairwoman Jane Timken, Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost, and then uh, members of Congress, Warren Davidson, Steve Stivers, Dave Joyce, Bill Johnson, and uh, Brad Winstrup. And as you mentioned, oh, and, and I don't want to leave these out, uh, some non-politicians, J.D. Vance, his name is thrown around, author of uh, Hillbilly Elegy, uh, which is now playing quite a bit on Netflix, and a man long dubbed the senator, Coach Jim Tressel, now president at Youngstown State, and a partridge in a pear tree. Uh, it just it seemed like the list just continued to grow, man. Uh, but since those initial gusts, you, you call it, Jordan stepped out. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Husted said, no, I'm going to rerun for Lieutenant Governor. And by the way, I intend to run for Governor someday. And then Attorney General Yost uh, stepped out of the ring as well. And at first blush, it appeared that Secretary LaRose was out. But looking closely at what his spokesperson said about the filing deadline being a year away and that he's focused on Ohio's successes and modeling them for the nation. That, to me, points to him maybe announcing later this year um, that he's going to step into the ring. I think you're right. Reading the, in your article what his uh, spokesperson said, John Keeling said, I can see that being a, a strong consideration. Not saying he'd be a strong candidate, but it would be a strong consideration that he would do this. Um, I'm going to talk about a couple of those names, including um, Josh Mandel, because he ran for the Senate in 2012, as we know. He lost to Sherrod Brown, as you point out in the article, by six points. Then he tried again in 2018, but had to abandon that campaign uh, because of his uh, wife's health issues. Um I don't know what his wife's health issues are now, but his name being here and uh, him being a, a previous candidate certainly might make him a favorite. He's a favorite of the pro-Trump crowd, too. He's a favorite of the you know uh, America First conservatives, much more so than somebody like, quite frankly, uh, you know, um, the man who holds the position now, Rob Portman, who is much more rhino and establishment establishmentarianism, if you, uh, establishmentarian, if you will, in the party. Excuse me. What are your thoughts on Mandel and the likelihood that he would not only run but 
maybe be uh, you know uh, one of the betting favorites. Yes, I think you're you're absolutely right. He would be a favorite, and you know I've got several names kind of starting to separate themselves. His is one of them, and I think he's a little different than the other two that we can talk about for a moment um, in a bit. Um, being Frank LaRose and Jane Timken, you know, when you talk about establishment Republicans. Uh, but Mandel was, you know, boy wonder for a while in the Republican Party. And uh, in 2018, it looked like, you know, he was going to go pretty hard at Sherrod Brown and, and maybe give him everything that he wanted. Um, that health issue uh, actually um, was, you know, unfortunate. It ended up he got divorced. Um, and, and some weird I did not there. know that. I did not follow that. No. So thank you for that. I did not realize that. So that would not be a factor. Now, I don't know. The circumstances surrounding the divorce may be something that an opponent may want to play on, and uh, you know, and personalize. Sure. I don't don't know. But uh, but thank you for that update. Go ahead. Yeah. So um, you know, Mandel raised twenty five million during that twenty twelve race, and uh, he may have upwards of five million left in the political war chest should he decide to run. Um, and, you know, money's a good thing, uh, particularly uh, when mm-hmm. you're talking about a Senate race and uh, you need to reach all of Ohio. So I think he's definitely at the top of the list. And I, and I would put Jim Renacci up there, Frank LaRose, and, and Jane Timken as well. Um, when I talked to Jim Renacci last week, was it? Yeah, I think it was last week. Um, you know, he, we talked about this prospect, but I still feel like, you know, he regrets having gotten into that race late when, when summoned by the president to run against Sherrod Brown that cost him his chance to win the Ohio uh, gubernatorial race, which I really think he had a strong chance of doing. And I don't think he wants to go back to that. I, every time I talk to him about Washington, he talks about how Washington is broken, and it's very difficult for one man to fix. But he says in the state of Ohio, which is also broken, it needs leadership at the top to fix it. I really feel like particularly because of the Ohio Future Foundation that he runs and founded, I really think he's committed to the governor's race this time. Do you not? I think he has his eye on the race to governor first, absolutely. And I think I think we'll hear something about that maybe this month. Now, if he declines a shot at the governor's chair, obviously he would be one of the favorites. But I would agree with that, with the Ohio Future Foundation. And, you know, it's really interesting. He had a town hall meeting, I think, a month ago. And one of the things he talked about was a report that came out of the University of Akron that talked about how Ohio may be perceived around the country and how we have a drain of talent, particularly young talent. And it's interesting to look at what the governor is now trying to do. So I think the governor, when you know, coming out and saying, hey, we want to be a more progressive state. I want to invest in getting people here. I think the governor's looking at Jim Renacci as, hey, here's my opponent, and I'm going to use the office I have right now in this podium that I'm at every uh, two days every week to start talking about some proactive things, um, making Ohio more attractive for the country. So for that reason, I believe he is probably um, I number one on the governor's chair. And, and then, you know, if for some reason, um, you know, I think he's doing a lot of research on it and wants to make sure it's the right thing that doesn't pan out. I, I could see him stepping into that gap because he's also said, I'll do whatever it takes to move Ohio forward. Um, obviously, you know, being here would be number one, but if, you know, representing Ohio and D.C. is number two, who knows? We're talking to Jack Windsor of the Ohio Star, managing editor at the Ohio Star, about Rob uh, um, Portman's decision not to run for re-election in the Senate. Real quick on Timken. Um, no thank you. I, I, I have, you know, this, this woman has, has green-lit and supported every ridiculous, job-killing, soul-crushing mandate handed down by Mike DeWine. 
She was a fan of Amy Acton, who I also want to ask you about in a moment, Jack Windsor. Uh, she uh, is a she is an anti-Trumper. I don't know if I want to call her a never-Trumper. Um, she supports Anthony Gonzalez and his impeachment vote. I mean, I can't think of enough reasons to despise Jane Timken as a potential, first of all, as the leader of the, of the, the Republican Party in this state, um, much less as a candidate for the United States Senate. Um, she would be an absolute disaster. I think she is a disaster for conservatism and a Republic, the Re- Republican Party in this state already. You don't have to agree with all that. Your thoughts? Well, I'm going to say amen to what you just said. <laughs> as, uh, as, you know, politically incorrect as that may be, but I'm not writing an article here. There's just two in the fact. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I can, I can kind of come off that a little bit and say, no, I, I think you're right. T- two things make Jane Timken attractive as a candidate. Number one, uh, she is an establishment person. She's been the chairwoman since 2017, vice chair since I think going back to 2010, the Ohio GOP, very well connected in Stark County. And, you know, she is a prolific fundraiser and giver, along with her husband, uh, chairman and CEO of Timpkin Steel. So being embedded in the establishment, the ability to raise and give funds the way that she is able, I think, you know, it makes her a contender. And she has said she is, quote, seriously considering a run for Senate next year. I will make it my uh, personal I, mission to to destroy her candidacy in, in Northeast Ohio through these airwaves, uh, because I absolutely... And I'll tell you something else, too. I will not vote if she ever became the Republican nominee for that seat. And obviously, I'm not going to support a left-leaning Democrat uh, in that seat. Um, I will not vote in that election. I'm sorry, and I know that's uh, a lot of people say it's unconstitutional, it's irresponsible. There is no way I would cast a vote for her. I would wrote, I would write in Jack Windsor before I would vote for her. Um, <laughs> let, 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 let me move to another female, and, and it's un- the other side now because you also wrote an article about some of the names tim ryan being among them on the democrat side and uh, i know he's a favorite of a lot of people i think he's a pure snake uh and uh and it's absolutely no business whatsoever being in the united states senate but i just want to hit acton real quick once that story came out about two weeks ago amy acton said to be considering a run for the united states senate jack she quit as health director because she couldn't handle the heat of that kitchen. An appointed position by the governor and, and not a lawmaker. Um, she's just the health director and she couldn't stand the criticism she got for being so wrong about so many things. Uh, she said it was bad for her family, bad on a, you know, personal level and all of this. How can somebody who couldn't handle being health director and taking the heat that came with that job handle being a member of the United States Senate and deciding, I don't know, the future of the country? I mean, the Senate is obviously extraordinarily powerful. How could she possibly think she would handle the criticism of, uh, of an elected position like that? Well, it's either one of two things. Either she's a puppet and she's not thinking that someone else is, or it's all an act. That's, that's, all, I, that's all I can survive. Uh, you're right. She walked away from the director role in June, and then she was handpicked, right, by the governor to be an advisor to the governor, right. not having to be in front of the camera, not having to do all the stuff that she did previously, which I think was too much for her. Uh, unless that was an act, uh, it was too much for her, making a quarter of a million dollars a year. And then she walked away from that. So, you know, she's a two-time quitter within a year um, about a topic that she, you know, purports to be so passionate about. So how then is she going to go, uh, you know, if all things happened in her favor, go to Washington, D.C., where I'm, I'm going to tell you it's going to be a lot more difficult, challenging, and insulting than it was being the director um, of the Ohio Department of Health. 
So to me, this is, um, you know, this is kind of groupthink mob mentality. She, she hit that rock star status and, you know, to some people in the state of Ohio, uh, the same people who ignore the data and ignore the, you know, unconstitutionality of what has gone on in the last year, those same people uh, are in love with her. So for that reason, you know, when you look at her fan club on Facebook and she has a few hundred thousand people, that to me is um, what makes her a legitimate candidate. But, you know, when you look at her resume and her record, um, that doesn't speak volumes about her ability to step into a role as a United States Senator. Jack, since we're just chewing the fat about all these prospects, I'm going to ask you one more question, because um, you wrote about him in the piece, and I don't know if I mentioned his name or if you did in our conversation. What about Mike Gibbons? Mike Gibbons is a f- very, very strong conservative. He is a very, very big, uh, has a lot of support, I should say, in the most conservative of circles in this country. He ran in that primary against Renacy when Renacy was asked to, to run against Brown. We all know how that turned out. I like a lot. I got to know him a little bit better after that uh, than I knew him before that. Um, it, 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 any thoughts about his viability? I think he's interested. Um, and, you know, from... I don't know Mike personally. I understand he's an investment banker, an attorney, and as you mentioned, um, a former Republican primary candidate for the Senate. Um, He posted something on Tuesday on Facebook where he was reminiscing about the fun he and his team had back in 2018 on the campaign trail. To me, that's a prelude to a forthcoming announcement. Um, I've reached out uh, to Mike. I haven't had a chance to connect with him, but I would put him, you know, when I'm looking at some of those uh, that – quintuple of uh, representatives inside the Beltway, um, I, I, that, that I would say any one of those folks could run, I would put Mike Gibbons in that group, too. I think he's, he's probably going to, um, but I just haven't had a chance to chat with him. Jack Windsor, I wish we had longer to chat because uh, I could still. I wanted to get into Rob Portman himself, by the way, and find out why you think he's doing this. But maybe we'll save that for the next time. Keep up the great work. Read all of Jack's work and his staff's work at theohiostar.com, theohiostar.com. Jack Windsor, Managing Editor, thank you so much, my friend. Bob, thank you. Have a great day, my friend. Always a pleasure. 9.53. We'll come back right after this, AM 1420, The Answer. We'll be right back.